0: Decoded. Founder
1: Tech Decoded. Funding to Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech new, When reaching out, sending a deck, or pitching a VC like me. Let's dive in.
0: Welcome to Founder Tech Decoded. I'm delighted on this episode to be talking to Jake Stanley from E2E Capital Ventures. I think what Jake is doing is a very, very early and pioneering form of Founder Tech whether he, he had seen it like that is a different story that we can discuss. What Jake focuses on is in enabling early stage founders to build really dynamic and valuable investor networks almost before that before they raise. As a form of, I guess, tool or technology that they actually can have some control and agency over up front that enables that raise to happen quicker, better, and at a fairer valuation for both parties. So Jake with ETE Capital Ventures has been pioneering particularly using LinkedIn to build these investor networks and offers actually a structured process for founders to engage with in order to start to identify, connect with and ultimately map those networks so that they're ready to go when they want to raise their round rather than wait and try and build those relationships at the point at which you want to raise the round and realise you don't have that network in place and therefore have to often scramble about in order just to connect with a handful of investors why not build that up front and have a range of options that you can then approach, target, and talk to? So, Jay, do you want to talk to us about how you began to kind of conceive of investor networks and why why you think they're so uh, important? Uh, but, yeah, what, what was your sort of kind of your source code, as it were, looking at the assumptions of as to why, why investor networks were important and often not built properly?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so to me, the... The activity of raising funds um, is obviously the the successful strategy that's going to underpin that is to basically grow your own network of investors. So there's lots of people out there that you can, these intermediaries that you can engage to basically put your business in front of their network that they've been building up over the last 10, 20 years, however long it's been. And obviously that, that can be quite successful because you've got a warm referral there from somebody that the investor trusts. However, uh, investors need to, be, need to be on your radar. If you're a founder and you know you're going to be going through these series of fundraisers, then it's a good idea for you to build your own black book. And then obviously that's advantageous for the round that you might be currently looking at filling now, but also every future fundraiser you're going to do. Because where we came with, up with this idea really was treating fundraising as if it's a marketing campaign. So in the same way that a marketing function in a business will be identifying prospective customers growing the company's audience with those targets and then engaging them through social media and various other channels that's exactly the same sort of approach that we would advise founders use when it comes to raising investment so treat a share certificate in your company as if it's a product and you need to be going and finding the individual, the customers, prospective customers that want to buy that share certificate. And the way in which you do that is by following the same process that all marketeers follow, which is identify the audience, grow the network, and then engage them. So that's where it stems from.
0: So what what you've just said there sort of off the bat is, is, is a really good example of these types of conversations where what you've said is 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 sophisticated, but it's common sense, right, like in terms of kind of um treating a campaign as a as you would a marketing campaign campaign to attract investment um you're trying to sell something treating the share certificate in that in the way you've described it it, it when you say it it makes complete sense what amazes me and why i'd love to have your view on it is, as is often the case in these conversations is why why when that makes such uh, obvious sense is that not just sort of widely understood so why do you think that's so sort of sh- strange to even say like what what what, what's made that so sort of that common sense so sort of hard to just kind of go oh well that that's that's obviously the way I should look at it
1: I think the reality is that it isn't always uh, a pressing concern for founders so um, they might not understand that they need to always be doing that because they think actually they underestimate how difficult it is to raise funds especially when they're in the stage of pre-seed to series a where you know, it's quite common that institutions won't be interested at that level. So the the, the institutions want you to hit a certain level uh, before they'll invest, but you know that you're quite a bit below that level and you know it's a chicken and egg situation. You need to get to that level for the VCs to invest, but you need investment to get to that level. So the only way you're going to do that and bridge that gap is by engaging angel investors. But I just don't think that a lot of founders are, are aware of how difficult it is, and they, they often wait until they're needing funds. So they're coming to the end of their runway, and they've got this pressing issue now. And you know, unfortunately, they've not done the legwork of of building the um, the investor network sooner. Or they might be doing it, but it's all very manual, and it's taking one person in the business six months to 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 do all of this to basically identify the right people. Manually go to these networking events, for example, which can obviously just sometimes be really useful. You might meet one or two new contacts that are worth their weight in gold, but you also might trail around the country going to all of these different events and never meet anybody that's that's of value to the business. So I think in short, basically, it's, founders can, can often underestimate how, how hard it is and think that when the time comes for them to, to raise funds, they'll be able to do it. Fairly quickly, and they don't treat it as if as if they are marketing a product here. You know, they understand very well that they, they'll have a marketing person and a chief marketing officer in the business full time all year round. They'll very rarely have a chief investment officer in the business all year round to be be engaging investors in the same way that the marketers are, are engaging prospective customers for them. It's just not viewed as the same the same thing, so it doesn't get as much investment in terms of time and resource from from the company.
0: What do you think about the idea that um, one of the other things that founders can do quite early on and be proactive around and kind of again can control there's lots of things that I think founders feel they can't control is the building of their own sort of thought leadership and personal branding and not which is different from just you know posting a social campaign or you know that it is sort of just just, just kind of retweeting things in your space I guess but more uh, more kind of concerted considered I'm going to develop my viewpoint my authority, my thought leadership around this sector how does how, how what what's your view on that and, and if you think it is relevant how does it plug into and kind of i guess elevate the capacity to build a successful investor network
1: well i think obviously if people are going out and building their own personal brand then people are going to recognize that and investors are going to see and it's, it comes back to the, if somebody's got the ability to build their own brand then they're probably going to have the ability to to, to convert prospective investors and what investors want to see is that they've got the ability to go and engage other investors because if you're putting in if you say if they're doing a half million pound round and as an investor you're putting in the first 50k if they don't go and do that again another nine times then your 50k is going to be wasted really because they can't do the they can't achieve the goals that they've planned to because they've not achieved the whole race so you're taking quite a big risk if you, you see something that you like as an investor, but you don't necessarily think that the founder has the ability to go and demonstrate that to other investors, then obviously that's going to, be, that's going to put you off. So it'd be quite compelling if someone's got this voice of authority in this space and they know that people are listening to them and respect what they say, uh, because it just obviously builds the credibility there. So it would make me more confident as an investor if, if a founder had that. I
0: think that's absolutely fascinating i'd never heard that articulated before and again it's it, it sort of makes intuitive and immediate sense that obviously if you're an investor participating in a very high risk you know pre-seed round let's say you understand the risk and that's you know you, you're you're comfortable with that and you're you know then and you're adept at that and you're making those kinds of investments you're still the idea that actually one of the things you're assessing is the founder's capacity to continually raise i guess an increasing value um early on is is really fundamental and not talked about again it reminds me of another idea of um um that actually when you're investing in a pre-seed round lots of people think it's about um investing in product market fit whereas as you've said and as everybody kind of who is across this space understands that you're not at that stage yet you're not at revenue you're not at product traction so actually what the, the investor is looking at is will my money enable this founder within a two to three year period to get to and demonstrate product market fit which sounds similar to what you're saying about the investor going can this inv- uh, founder continually raise the, the capital they need at the time they need at an increasing valuation and and that that's part of the metric of kind of of what they're evaluating i've, I've never heard that articulated before like i hadn't heard the the nuance around we're not investing in product market fit at this stage. We're investing in the capacity to reach um, and kind of, I guess, own product market fit down the down the tra- down the track. They're, they're, they're similar ideas, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, okay, so let, let's let's talk through a case study. Let's say let's say I'm a founder, and uh, let's say I have you know some established visibility, some authority, and I come to you and I say, let's say I'm in deep tech around healthcare, just for the sake of the conversation. And I come to you and, I, and, you, and you look at you know, what I'm doing and it looks, you know, it, it's presented in the right way. You guys ticking boxes. Talk to me about the journey. But I have a very limited network. What, maybe because I live in a, you know, a region where there's less capital or startup culture or ecosystem to draw on. But let's just assume that I haven't got a large network, but I've got a very solid proposition. I'm seeking, let's go with you a half a million. Um, I've got, you know, thought leadership and authority around deep tech in healthcare, talk me through that conversation to build my investor network. Mm-hmm.
1: So basically what you've described there is a founder that's got everything but a network. So what, what, all they need to do now is go banging on doors and make more more of the right people aware of who they are. So how, how are they going to do that? So bear in mind that they're going to be focused on angels. Here Now, obviously, there's, there's these angel platforms that you've probably seen. I think most founders have come across them um where you can you can be listed there and they've got let's say x thousand serial angel investors that are self-certified as high net worth individuals and then that you know you're on there as a marketplace a marketplace platform for people that want to see that want to have sight of these early stage investment opportunities so you can get put on there and that's that eyeballs on you straight away that that, that would be one way and um, another would be to try and identify all of the heads of angel syndicates that invest in, in your space and then to form a relationship with them because obviously opening one door there will open the door to potentially 30, 50, however many angels individuals are, are sat within that network and within that syndicate. And then the third way is is to to what I would recommend, which is to identify every individual that wants that 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 is showing the world that they're basically interested in seeing early stage investment opportunities. So how do you identify those people? Well, you can, you can search for the companies that are similar to you. You can search for companies that aren't similar to you, but are at a similar stage to you. So early stage pre-revenue, perhaps you can find the cap tables of those companies. It's all publicly available information, companies house, and you could start to, manually work through those and identify the individuals that appear several times and then that's going to tell you once once you've produced that list of individuals that you can see appear several times across all of these cap tables these are clearly people that are are parting with cash into businesses that are in a similar stage to yours so there's your prospecting list so from a marketing point of view that's step, step one is to identify those individuals
0: you're saying, and again, I haven't heard this widely widely said until we spoke, you know, a week or so ago, that the cap tables are publicly available at companies' house. You can go and you can go and search those. So you, as you said, you can see if you if you have, let's say, three or generally a founder will be looking, you know, on their radar three or four other kind of startups that are irrelevant. You can actually go and see that 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 startup's cap table is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and the annual return um, it should be showing the people that have, that have invested in the business. So if you can then find the individuals, that, that would be one way, take a note of those names. And then this is this is how you're going to build up a prospecting list of people that you should approach. So another good one would be to use LinkedIn. Obviously it's a huge database. Um, many people will list on the profile when they invest in a business, they'll, they'll call themselves an angel investor, give themselves that job title at that business. So you can you can use LinkedIn to identify those people. And then this is this is a process so this is something that people should be doing all the time or having somebody that spends at least a couple of hours on this every week to make sure that you're constantly keeping up to date with new individuals that are backing businesses at a similar stage to yours so they they're, they're the channels that I would recommend it's it's very difficult to just sit within you know your boardroom and, and have conversations with people that they've got their own networks and predominantly they they often recruit people that come with good networks and put them on the board. So you might have contacts right under your nose. So you need to be coming up with methods and ways of identifying new people all of the time that are then falling into some sort of funnel that gets you in front of them and makes them aware of who you are and what you're doing and why they should be tracking you and watching you.
0: I'd like to kind of go one level down and talk about, you know, notions of sort of primary network, secondary network, tertiary networks of investors, where I would say a primary network is, is, is like you said, they are aligned, they've already invested, they have a point of view, they bring value. So the notion of solo capitalists has come up quite a lot of, you know, like investors who, who, so, who can operate alone or have a large degree of um, capital, and obviously autonomy around that capital, but invest with the you know like a point of view a sector point of view that they really have a track record in and add enormous about value value to the cap table I think that's an extreme version of the of what's emerging as a primary network but can you give us a sense of what you think are like primary what a network of investors a secondary and tertiary and if a tertiary you just sort of shouldn't really be spending much time on and if you think a lot of founders waste a lot of time you know trying to follow leads within a tertiary network I'd, I'd be interested in how if and how you would define those kind of layers?
1: Sure, yeah. So if so let's say, for example, you found an individual on LinkedIn that says in their profile somewhere that they're an angel investor in a business that's at a similar stage to yours. You might initially think, great, that person's someone we should definitely approach. But if you do, do, do a bit of due diligence on those people and find out, well, how much did they actually invest? And how many times have they invested into a business like that? Because if it was just once, you know, Technically, you could call yourself an angel investor if you've put five grand into your brother's business in 1992. Yeah. And evidently, that person isn't as valuable to you as the person who's made 10 investments into a seed stage business in the last five years, um, all 50 grand tickets. So I would qualify them and basically score them gold, silver, bronze, and put them into these categories based on the number of shareholdings that they've got that are relevant to you and the value of those shareholdings so if they've got 15 shareholdings but they're all the, the aggregate value of those is, is is less than 10 grand then they've probably just participated in a load of crowdfunding um right campaigns in the past they might have put 50 quid in here and there i've come across i've spoken with investors who they are technically investors, but they're they're fairly young and they might have put a thousand quid into 12 businesses.
0: So you are saying that, that that's the story to cut across you there. They, when you look on LinkedIn, and there's this sort of, you know, obviously there are people who have rich portfolios. And, you know, and I know you're coming on to them, but there are also these other types of angel investors that are creating a signal to noise problem. They have often like eight, nine, ten, eleven investments. But actually you're saying if you were to kind of do your due diligence on them that they are minimal and they've just spread back across different crowdfunding campaigns not that there's anything wrong with that but they are not the same they're not a primary investor is, is why i hear you saying
1: yes exactly so you could almost set criteria around certain groups so you could say gold standard is at least five shareholders of c-state businesses and the value of those are over 100 grand so you know that on average you know they've put five 20k tickets into a c-state business great gold standard silver, you might reduce that slightly, bronze again, reduce it again, and then just remove anybody below bronze so they've got, they've only got one shareholding in a C-stage business, or that they're, you know, they're they're the two factors I would look at, how many shareholdings and how many, and what's the value of them, because that's going to tell you, A, how readily they are parting with cash into businesses similar to yours, and secondly, are those amounts substantial? And that's how I would categorise investors into the, the primary secondary and tertiary funds that you just discussed
0: and do you this is a leading question but do would you say that a lot of founders are wasting time on you know bronze or and beyond investors that are never going to give them the you know like the the, the 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 funding and the fuel that they need so they're there and that's because one of the things i'm very interested in exploring in, in the founder tech conversation is you know this nine out of ten failure rate and actually no one's really unpacked that what what informs that and I hear what you're saying. Again, I've never heard this conversation. You know, if you're if you're if you're engaged in tertiary um, investors and conversations like that, they are like and beyond. You know, they're likely to end up either going absolutely nowhere um, or be not being of much value to you at all. And you've wasted loads of time because that tertiary or bronze investor. And let's be specific. We're talking about someone who's a, a bronze investor for you might be a gold investor for someone else in another sector, right? That, that is possible. Um, that you're actually chasing you know chasing your tail in some regard, and therefore you're getting frustrated and you're getting that kind of back and forth that is the you know that between the pitch deck and the investor and all of that kind of that dance that we all know it doesn't really add value to anything it just wastes everyone's time but i from what i hear you know i was talking about now it's because actually founders are spending a lot of time in those kind of bronze tertiary investor networks would you say that's fair
1: i'm not it's not something that i I see founders doing necessarily that they're targeting the wrong people. It's just that they don't know how to identify people and to make these, how, how to qualify them to a certain degree. And then obviously to focus their time on on the gold standard, but and then churn their way through and get down to reaching out to the bronze. Because it's not to say that you shouldn't reach out to those people, because it might be actually that, They're well connected and often they are angel investors. They they don't like to do things alone. A lot of them will co-invest with their friends and they've maybe got these small networks of four or five people that are always putting in on the same deals and they're sharing deal flow with each other. So you might have just one of that group of five on your prospecting list um, and reaching out to them might seem like they're not going to get investment from that individual, but if they say, for for example, it's not something I'm interested in or I'm out of cash, I've used for my EIS allowance. However, I've got these friends of mine that I'll share the deck with. And then one of them comes through that you perhaps haven't even identified for some reason. So it's always worth reaching out to someone. I'd leave no stone unturned. But I think founders can often just get frustrated with the fact that they're having conversations with people that are going nowhere and get the impression that every investor is this bronze level and that they're just not getting through to the gold standard but in reality it's just that actually rejection is really common and the, you know raising investment in this space between pre-seed and series a is like herding cats in the dark and it can often feel from a founder's point of view when they're only doing it um as part of their role something that's a bit of an annoyance to the founder they want to get on with running the business that they've created then it just feels like a real chore and uh, and can often get frustrated but I'm assuming you may have heard of the uh, "go for nos" mantra. So.
0: No, I haven't. No, I haven't.
1: Okay, so rather than looking, it's fairly common in sales. Um, but if rather than essentially, rather than looking for, say, ten yeses, go for two hundred nos, because so this helps in two ways. Because a, if you only go for ten yeses and you get to eight yeses or five yeses, you might think, actually, that's quite good, and I'll stop there. Whereas, if you've gone for 200 no's, even when you get to 10 yeses, if you've only had 150 no's, you know you still need to go and do another 40 calls, because you've had 10 yeses and 150 nos, Okay, so you've got another 40 calls to go and make another 40 people to approach.
0: Let's talk about how, how you actually do this, because obviously what you've been talking about there is sort of slightly an abstracted version. Let's t- talk about in, uh, in, let's go back to me as the founder, the deep tech pre-seed founder uh, in in healthcare. And I come to you, can you talk to me about how you, how you uh, at E2E engage and address this problem systematically? I know you've developed a whole formula and framework, so it's not, you know, that that founders can plug into. Can you share some of that um, process?
1: Yeah, so the methods that I mentioned earlier is what we've been doing. So we're looking for people all the time that meet certain criteria. So we're looking at shareholdings that they may have. We're looking at the amount, the value of their shareholdings, how much they put in at the start, and the sectors that they may have invested in in the past. And just building up this picture, building up this this database, and we've got a small team that works on doing that consistently. So it's always been kept up to date. We're always filling it with new people. And then that's our master database essentially, which we will then use when we craft, campaign. So if somebody comes to us and says, I'm in I'm in deep tech in healthcare and I'm looking to raise this amount, I've currently got commitments of 200K to my 500K, but we've now run out of traction in the round and we don't really know what to do from here. So we'd, we'd review our database and we'd have a look at all of the individuals that we think will be relevant. We try and build up about a 1,000. So that's Going to then be a thousand individuals that meet certain criteria that are relevant for this company, and then we take them through a process where each individual gets approached by the founder, with then then followed up with an engagement sequence. So drip feeding them information um, about the raise, about the company, obviously to start with, but then about the raise and the traction that they're having with the raise what they're going to use the money for, you know, how is it going to be deployed, how is it going to raise the valuation of the business, how does the investor get a return, because that's what they're predominantly concerned with. And we do workshops with our clients to basically fact-find all of this information. So then we've produced a prospecting list and we've got an engagement messaging sequence designed for this client's campaign. And then we put the tools in their hand to to automate as much of the heavy lifting as possible. So a lot of the engagement process is then all scheduled and planned ahead of time and goes out so that they can then pick up the leads that respond accordingly.
0: And this occurs over a period of three months, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, typically. So for a half million pound raise, we're looking to get people want to get as much traction as they can within three months after that stage. You know, people can leave their round open, obviously, for as long as they want. But I think investors that have put in, uh, say, for an advanced subscription, they don't want to then have the round dragging on beyond yeah. that point. So we try and set an open and a close deadline. And typically for these these sorts, these rounds of these size, then three months is, is often enough. We don't always work with, with every founder. You kind of need to be already in a position where you've got the things that you mentioned at the start so you might have had your deck already created people want to want to work with us, they have to be at a point where they've got a good deck to hand, they've probably got their own investor networks that they've tapped up and have got some traction with in terms of received some money into this round already because obviously it makes it a much more compelling message before you go out banging on doors of investors called investors that don't know you yet you want to make sure that all your cards are in order and that you've you've reached a certain point because obviously it makes a much more compelling proposition to a cold investor if you can say people are already with us and have already backed us and don't miss out on the opportunity as opposed to we've got this cool idea but we need we need to take a punt really and would you be up for putting some money in obviously doesn't sound as compelling so i would say those that have reached a certain point and are in a position where all they need now is to go and develop the network because everything else is in place. Yeah. Then by all means, you know, drop us a message, and I speak to many founders all the time um, to try and push them in the right direction and tell them a little bit about what we do. Some half of which often go away with just a bit of advice and a point in the right direction because it can be that they're not at the right stage. But if if there's people that feel that the only thing that they've got left to do now is build a network, then that's that's at the point where they, they, they should definitely be having a conversation with, with us. It's
0: an important inflection point, I think, and that where Manitou adds the most value is that you can't create these things out of nothing. There is tools and methodologies and frameworks that can increase agility, transparency, engagement, but you have to come to the table with the things that you should be coming today with, as, as we talked about, you know, whether that's your own personal brand, you know, your business, you, the, your proposition sufficiently developed where you can communicate it clearly, you know, the, the ability to kind of pitch that all of those things, you kind of are on you. And then what, obviously what we're trying to then encourage is then you plug into tools that make things conversations so much more efficient. And actually the real goal is to get you into better conversations the founder and investor quicker so higher value conversations for both people where it's very clear who's bringing what what the transaction is you know whether there is some you know a deal to be had there you, that's really what we're trying to get to is as quickly as possible bring that about and and kind of get get rid of all of the inefficiencies and asymmetries that seem to block that and i hear what you're saying is very much, you know, um, um, adding to that and and uh, you know align with that. So, um, is th- just do we always finish up? Um, it's it's really fascinating. I think that's three or four things that have come up again that just just are really important to hear. And I haven't really heard um, articulated. So so thank thank you for that. Are there any um, what we call APIs uh, where we were fin- always finish of sort of books, people, podcasts. Documentaries, anything you know that, that's on your radar, radar that's informing your thinking or has informed your thinking, would be great if you could share.
1: Well, certainly, I'd, I'd recommend go for Nose. That's great for anybody because it's, it's predominantly targeted at salespeople, um, but like we've discussed already on this episode if whether you kind of accept it or not if you're a founder that's looking to raise investment then you are you need to develop your sales skills and a lot of them are very good already um because they have had to be to sort of pull people together and build the company from from scratch but go for nose is definitely something i'd read because it instills this this habit i suppose of understanding that rejection is a necessary part of success and when raising funds it's probably the hardest sales role that you can take on, actually, I would say. So if nobody's read that book yet, I'd certainly recommend that. It's Go For No uh, by Richard Fenton and Andrea Waltz.
0: Great. Anything else? Anything you've you, Any podcasts that you listen to yourself in the space?
1: I've recently started listening to um, Stephen Bartlett. He's got a podcast, Diary of CEO, which I found has some really interesting episodes on speaking with founders of businesses that have already disrupted um, and, and hearing their point of view on challenges that they've come up, come up against in their journey and um, always, always really fascinating to sort of hear from people that have been there, done this and have, it's interesting to hear how many times that they've sort of had their head in their hands and felt like, you know, it was over, but yet we, th- these are founders of household names now that you would, you know, recognize their brands anywhere. And, yeah, it can be really quite comforting and motivating to hear that everybody's been through this because it can be quite tough and it will feel quite lonely at times. So yeah, Diary for CEO by Stephen Bartler podcast really good for for reminding you that this isn't you know you're not alone in this and people people have been before you and done this and come out the other side with with the really great businesses and you know keep going is the the general message I take away when I listen to that because. Some of, the, some of the founders that they speak to are just, you know, you, you get this image, especially with social media and the, the age that we live in, where a lot of people like to share their successes and aren't too keen to share some of the challenges that they've been up against. Not in a way that sort of fills you with any comfort anyway. It's all about how they overcame these challenges really well and how great they are, whereas actually... When you, when you get into a two-hour conversation, most of these episodes are a couple of hours, you really do start to understand that success is just the tip of the iceberg and there's a whole the whole mass of failure beneath it um, that people have, have got through. And just reminds you that it will be worth it in the end when you keep on going. So yeah, really great for motivation that I find.
0: Excellent. Well, that's a lovely place to finish. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for having me.